Well, call it Bel Air Gardens, and it was my favorite restaurant growing up. It was a, a chicken house. They had fried chicken. They excelled at fried chicken, and they had these amazing French fries that would go with the fried chicken, and the coleslaw was vinegar-based. It was just a great compliment. And then they had this dish called hot rice. I'm still not exactly sure what all it is, but it was, it was just, a, a, just a bundle of goodness. And it was, it was my favorite restaurant. And I used to get made fun of because it was me and a, a, bunch of, a bunch of grandparents that were in the restaurant. Everybody my age is like, you like that place? I'm like, oh, I love that place. It's so good. But I, I was the youngest person in there every time I went by far. And after after I moved away for a few years and after Brooklyn and I got married, we were back in town. I'm like, we have to go to Bel Air Gardens. It's great. It's fantastic. The chicken's amazing. All the side dishes are great. It's, it's going to be a fantastic dinner. You have to go. You have to check it out. You have to try it. And she was apprehensive at first, but she decided she would go along with the adventure. So she went along with it. And we walked in, and we were seated, and we looked around, and we were the only people under 80 in the place, and we had Ethan at the time, and that's fine. Uh, we, had, we had Ethan at the time, and we sat down, and Brooke's looking around, and she's like, do you smell that? I'm like, what? She's like, it smells like raw chicken in here. I'm like, baby, that just means it's fresh. That just means it's fresh. It's nothing to worry about. And so we put our order in. I got the all-leg dinner, as I always did, with French fries and coleslaw and hot rice. And she's looking at me kind of confused, and, and I, I coached her through what, what options to get, and she didn't listen to me on one of the options. And when her food came out, she tried the one option she didn't listen to me on first, and she's like, mm, it's not that good. And I'm like, see why you should always listen to me? You didn't listen. And so I'm, I was eating just fine. And then she bit into a piece of chicken, and she's like, this is not cooked. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just that juicy. She's like, Brian, this is raw chicken. I'm not eating it. And I have to admit, the dinner was not that good. It wasn't good. I remember it being one of the most delicious meals. I could always count on them to be great. Every time I went, the food was fantastic, and here we were years later, and I had to confront the fact that the present wasn't like the past. It what once was so delicious and what once was so great, now was a different story. And maybe you've experienced that in your life. Maybe you've experienced that with a favorite restaurant. We're used to love to go to the place, but whether it's because there's a new owner or a new general manager, whatever the case may be, it's gone downhill. And you just have to admit, it's not as good as it used to be. Maybe it's a type of car that you like to drive. Maybe it's a store that you like to shop in. Maybe it's a television show. Whatever the case may be, sometimes the present doesn't match the past. And how do we handle that? And what do we do with that? Because sometimes when it's a restaurant or a brand of car or a favorite store, we just adjust. We just find a new restaurant. We try a different model or a different make of a car. We go and we find a new store that we like more. We just do all our shopping online and don't have to worry about it. But what happens when that's something in our lives? When the present doesn't match up 
with the past. And this morning, we're going to see from King David in Psalm 40, if you have your phones or your tablets, we'd invite you to follow along with us there in the Bible app. We're going to see someone whose life has a very different set of circumstances in the past than did in the present as he wrote this song. So we're going to start in Psalm 40, verse 1, where we read these words, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. David's going down and he's, he's going down memory street. He's going down and he's remembering experiences and remembering things from his life. And he brings up this, this memory that he has of a situation and a scenario in his life where he had to wait on God. Have you ever been there when you have to wait on God? It's not fun. It's not fun when God's timetable doesn't match up with our timetable and God's time frame is different than our time frame. It is not a fun experience. It's miserable, quite frankly. And here was David in a situation that many of us have encountered, probably all of us have encountered, where God's timetable doesn't match up with our timetable. And then we're forced to ask ourselves, what do we do? Do we push it or do we wait? And every time, I will contend to you, every time we push it and every time we try to force it, when God's time frame is wait or no, and we just try to force the hand and we're like, no, God, now is the time. Every time we do that, every time we try to take over and every time we try to do something on our timetable instead of God's timetable, it only leads to disappointment. Whether immediate disappointment because God loves us enough to put roadblocks in our lives that make it so it's just impossible for us to move forward, or disappointment because God's like, all right, well, I tried to, I tried to show you this. I tried, to, I tried to give you discernment. I tried to give you all these signs, and you just want to go through with it. Anyways, go ahead. And then we experience the disappointment that happens from that. I want to caution you, and I want to challenge you. I know if you're there right now in this period of waiting, Maybe it's through a big life transition. Maybe it's through a job search. Maybe it's through some relational difficulty. Whatever the case may be for you, I want to challenge you as hard as it is. As you pray about it, continue to wait on God's perfect timing. That doesn't mean that that's going to be easy, but I'm just challenging you. Wait on God's perfect timing. And you may not see it now. In fact, you probably won't. Because we're, when we're in the midst of that uncertainty of a job situation, when we're in the midst of that uncertainty with a relationship, when we long to be with somebody and we're not with somebody, when we long to have a new career path and we don't have that career path, when we find ourselves in the midst of those things, we want them now. We want them instantaneously and we don't want to allow them to play out on God's time frame. But if we will, he will bless it. And here's David as he looks back at his life, as he looks back at the situations of his life, he says, God, I waited on you. And not only did I wait on you, but I waited patiently on you. And everybody who's had kids knows the difference between waiting and waiting patiently. I waited patiently. And what happened? And God inclined to me, and he heard my cry. God had a strong desire for me, and he heard me. God loves me. He had a strong desire to listen to me, and he listened to me. And that's the thing we have to remind ourselves of. 
especially when God isn't operating on our time frame. And that is just because God isn't operating on the time that we want him to operate on doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That's just the opposite. God loves us and cares about us deeply, even when he doesn't act in the exact moment that we would have him act in. And here's David saying, I waited patiently and God had a strong desire for me and he heard me. And don't lose sight of this. Don't lose sight of the privilege that we have to talk to our Creator. And a Creator who not only hears us, but actively listens and responds to that which we say to Him. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He says, God changed my circumstances. God changed my circumstances. He saw me where I was. He saw me stuck in the mud. He saw me in an absolute mess, and God rescued me. He pulled me out of the mire, away from destruction, and he put me on the rock, that which is secure. So I want to encourage you, if you find yourself there today, if you find yourself in a situation where you're stuck, if you find yourself in a situation where you're in a mess, You're not too stuck for God to change your circumstances. Your mess isn't too big of a mess for God to intervene. God sees David, he's stuck, he's in a mess, and God swoops in and he rescues him and he puts him on a rock, he grants him security, and he puts him in a place that completely changes everything about his circumstances. Now, you know what your circumstance is right now. You know what's in your life, that you're praying desperately for God to change. You know what that is. And I just want to encourage you, just because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean that God's rescue is not coming. But when we're stuck, and when we're in a mess, what happens? We want it yesterday. We want it immediately. Looks back and he remembers. And what's his response to this? What is his response to being rescued by God? Well, the first response is that it changes his outlook. It changes his outlook. He goes from being stuck, he goes from being in a mess, and then he says, but God, you did, you did this, and you delivered me. So my response to you, God, is I'm going to sing of your praises. I'm going to sing of your praises. That's the first thing. It changes his outlook. The second thing is it led to a level of optimism within him. And it led to a level of optimism within him that other people will experience what God can do and follow him. That he realized, this isn't just me. I mean, God loves me, but he doesn't just love me. And this is the great God that we have. That God sees us, and he sees us in the mess that we're in. He sees us stuck in our circumstances. He delivers us. And that leads us to have a new outlook on things. And part of that outlook is to say, you know what? I want that for everybody else because I understand what God did in my life. And I want other people to experience the same thing in their life because I see how it changed my life. And I can tell you from a firsthand account, he writes, that I want this for you because of what God's done. 
Have you lost sight of that? Have you lost sight of what God's done in your life? Have you lost sight of the change that God has, has made within you? Have you lost sight of the mess you were in? Have you lost sight of the times where you were stuck and God swooped in and he delivered you and he changed your circumstances and he changed your reality? Because if you haven't lost sight of that, then your heart beats for other people to experience that exact same thing and for God to work in the same way in their lives. Which leads us to ask a couple questions. The first is this. How has God worked in your life? What are some tangible ways that God has worked in your life? Just start a new note on your phone and just start listing ways that God has worked in your life. And think back to the circumstances. Think back to the times when you were in a mess. Think back to the times where you were stuck. And remember what God has done. Remember how God showed up. Remember how God worked. And then after after we recount those times that God has shown up and that God has worked, The next thing we need to list out is this. How has it changed our outlook? How has it changed our outlook? Because we're forgetful people. We're all forgetful people. And we're on to the next thing. And what happens with that mindset is if we're not careful, we begin to forget what God has done. And we, for, we begin to forget about the times where we were stuck. We, f- we begin to forget about the times when we were in a mess and God delivered us. So let's remember those times and let's also remember how it changed us. Because those circumstances of going through a mess, those circumstances of being stuck, those are the times, as we saw a few weeks ago, those are the times where God transforms us. Those are the times when God works on our character and he changes us. So let's make sure we remember them. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. The person who follows God is blessed. The person who follows God is blessed. And he says, God, you just keep working in my life. You just keep working in my life. And I refuse to be silent about it. I refuse to be silent, God, about the fact that you are working in my life. And he's not talking about a humble brag. Because when you humble brag, the attention's on you. He's talking about letting people know how great God is and what God has done. And that's that's the difference between a humble brag and praising God. The difference is, where's the attention go? If the attention's on you, it's in the wrong spot. Because if it were up to you, you'd be stuck. If it were up to you, you'd be in a mess. But the goodness and the greatness of God sees you when you're stuck. The goodness and the greatness of God sees you in the mess that you made. And he swoops in and he rescues you and he delivers you because he loves you anyway. And it might not be at the exact second that you want him to, but he does it. And he puts you in a place where you're secure. He says, I'm not going to be silent about that. I'm not going to keep this to myself. I am going to let everybody know about the goodness and the wonder of God. And I just want to encourage you, tell the world what God's done in your life. 
Tell the world what God has done in your life. And I understand some people are more shy than other people, and some people are very private people. I understand all of that. And I'm not saying everybody needs to tweet every detail about their life, but you've got people in your circle that you can share what God has done in your life. So share it. Oftentimes people think this idea of sharing their faith is is some monumental task. And I'm telling you, the easiest thing to do is just start with your story. Just tell tell people how God's worked in your life. Tell people what God's done in your life. Share your story. And share what God has done. How He's taken you from the mess that you've made. How He's delivered you when you were stuck. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted. But you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. See, sometimes the mess that we're in is because of me. That's what we have to realize. It's in an an age where we want to blame everybody else. We want to blame our society. We want to blame our ancestors. We want to blame our neighbors. We want to blame the president. We want to blame everybody else for our problems. That's our society. It's somebody else's fault. It can't be your fault. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to claim any responsibility. It's somebody, somebody else has wronged you. It's somebody else's fault that you're in the situation that you're in. That's our society right now. It's never your fault. You are never to blame. But the reality is, a lot of times we're in the mess because of me. We're in the mess because of me. You're in the mess because of you. I'm in the mess because of me. That's just the reality that we have to confront. I'm in my mess because of me. You're in your mess because of you. And what he says is what God really desires isn't prayers of forgiveness. What God desires is obedience. Now, God's willing to forgive you. But what God really wants is for you just to listen the first time. It's for you to do what you're supposed to do. That's what delights God. That's what God's seeking after. That is God's desire for our hearts, that obedience trumps forgiveness. God's desire is for us to obey Him. Yes, God loves us, and yes, God sees when we are stuck, and yes, God sees when we are in the mess, and yes, God will swoop us in. But the point is, God doesn't want us in the mess to begin with, and God has given us the directions to avoid the mess. And when we find ourselves not listening to those directions, and we find ourselves stuck, and when we find ourselves in the mess, God will swoop in, and He will forgive us, and He will deliver us, but God's desire for us is not to be in the mess to begin with. That's God's desire. That we would be people who obey. Yes, He will forgive, but just avoid the mess. Just avoid it. 
And every single one of us, in moments of honesty, to our closest friends, or to our kids, our grandkids, if we could just be really authentic with them, and if they had the maturity level and understanding level to understand it, we could just pull them aside. As we think about the regrets of our life, as we think about the things that we wish we could change, we'd tell them, this is true. Just avoid the mess. Yes, God will forgive us. Yes, God will deliver us. But it's always easier if we don't have that pain to deal with. And just avoid the mess. I don't know what you're struggling with today. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what God's forgiven you for the hundredth or the thousandth time that you know, but I'm just begging you. Just start trying to avoid the mess. Stop taking forgiveness for granted. Because it's taking a toll on you. Yes, God will swoop in and He'll clean you off, but it's taking a toll on you. And God's desire is that you would avoid the mess to begin with. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. He says, I've told everyone who would listen, God, what you have done. I've told everyone who would listen how good you are, God, when I think back to what you've done, I tell everyone how you rescued me when I was stuck and when I was in the mess. You showed up and you changed me. And I will let everyone know it. That should pump us up. That should make us excited. That should, this should be something that we look at and we're like, yes. That's life change. That's what we're excited about at Lakeside. We're excited about seeing lives changed. And so we should be excited about this. And it should pump us up that, yes, this is life change. This is what it's all about. But man, the song doesn't end there. And I wish it would. But it doesn't. Because now we get to the present. That's the past. Now we deal with the present. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. God, you're always good. God, you are good always. You are good always even when I'm not. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. This is the moment you just throw your hands up. This is the moment you just shake your head. 
these are the moments that drive you insane. They just drive you nuts. Because here's David. Someone who's seen God work in incredible ways in his life. Somebody who's telling us, God, I remember. I remember what you did. I remember how great it is. I will tell everybody how great what you did for me is. God, I know your heart. I know what you desire. And I want to let everybody know how good and how great you are. And in the same song, in, it's not even a different track on the album. It's the same song. He's like, my life's a wreck again. I, I haven't made like one or two little blunders. Like when I think about all the sin in my life, it's more than the hairs on my head. What is going on? What is happening? God, you've been really good to me, but I've made some more bad decisions. And by some, I mean too many to count. Let's just pause here for a couple minutes and, and realize a couple things. First, is God's goodness is not dependent upon our own. And we should all be incredibly thankful for that. That God's goodness is not dependent upon our own. But that He loves us and He is good even when we are not. The next thing is even when God has worked in some really phenomenal ways in our lives, even when God has worked in major ways in our lives, we are still prone to make mistakes. Even when God has worked in major ways in our lives for His glory, we are still prone to make mistakes. And this tragedy has been on full display over the past couple years. As famous leader after famous leader has been revealed to the, the demons in their closet have been shown for the world to see. And it's heartbreaking because it's a reminder that every single one of us, every single one of us, no matter how much God has done in our lives, no matter how good God is, every single one of us still messes up. Every single one of us still falls short. And there are parts about all of us that are at war with the part of us that God has taken over in our lives. And there is a battle, and if we are not careful, the ugliness of ourselves will triumph in our decision-making over the goodness of God. In the same song that David says, God, I remember how you worked in my life. God, I remember what you've done. God, you are so good. God, I know what you want. You want me to obey you in the same song. He's like, 
but I've made more bad decisions than I have hair on my head. I just want to encourage us in light of this. Let's make sure that we appreciate the people that God uses. Let's make sure that we appreciate the great authors and pastors and leaders that God gives us. But let's make sure we worship God and not people. Because every single time, every single time, people are going to disappoint you. But God never will. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. He said, God, deliver me. God, please deliver me. Not because I deserve it, because we don't. God, deliver us not because we deserve it, because we don't, but because it's a testament to your goodness. God, deliver me from all these bad decisions. God, deliver me from my sin, not because I deserve it, but because it is a testament to you and your goodness. God, God, please don't let the critics win. God, please don't let the critics who are eager to see my destruction win. And this is the reality of life, that there are people who are rooting for you to fail in their there are people who are just rooting for your mistakes to define you and make sure that everything that you've done that you regret is your legacy. And he said, God, please don't let those people win. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. He says, God, may I rejoice even though I've fallen short. God, may I rejoice even though I don't measure up. God, may I rejoice even though my life's a mess. And how's that possible? How can any of that be possible? And the answer is because no matter how much of a mess your life is, because no matter how many horrible decisions you've made, because no matter how many times you've turned your back on God, God's not done with you. He's not done with you. And your life's a mess right now. This song should be encouraging. Because it's written for us to read thousands of years later. And the enemy's going to come and what he's going to try to convince you of. Because the enemy doesn't change his tactics. What he's going to try to convince you of is, well, why would God love you now? Look at what he's done in your life and look at where you are now. <laughs> Why would God bless you? Why would God love you? Why would God use you? And when we start to listen to that voice, what happens is we just go down the cycle of despair. And we find addiction and we find other masking elements because it's, it's not worth it anymore. And we think God, 
God's not going to use me. My life's a mess. My life's a wreck. Why would God use me? Look at what God's done, and look at where I am now. And the message of God is, I love you. And you're like, God, but look at me now. And the message of God is, I love you. And you're like, but God, my life's a mess. And the message of God is, I love you. And you're like, God, I've got more sin than I've got hair on my head. And the message of God is, I love you. And you're like, but God, I've turned my back. And the message of God is, I love you. I love you. I love you. So church, I'm just going to ask you, What voice are you going to listen to? Because maybe you can look back in your life and you can see all of the ways that God has worked. And you can see all of the things that God has done. But you look now and your life's a mess. And I want to encourage you. The message of God is He's not done with you. That he loves you. And the same God who showed up before and rescued you when you were stuck and when you were in a mess is ready to show up and rescue you again. So what do we do with all this? Well, first is let's reflect and let's remember. Let's reflect and let's remember. We talked about that earlier, starting a note, remembering how God has shown up, remembering what God has done, sharing it with people, remembering how it's changed us. Let's reflect and let's remember. The next step that we need to do today is we need to repent. We need to repent. Let's look in our lives and see the things and the areas of our lives that do not bring God glory and realize what God desires is obedience and not sacrifice. And what God wants for us is for us to live lives that bring him honor. God wants for us to live lives that follow his mandates and follow his commands. That's what God desires for us. So we need to look at our own lives and see what areas we need to repent in. The next step after we've done that is to refocus. And let's make sure that we're listening to the voice of God, which says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Is the voice that we hear. And then last, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the fact that God is good and he loves us and he desires us. And he knows our sin and he loves us anyway. That's the God that we serve. God, I pray that we would be people who remember what you've done for us. That we reflect on your goodness and we make it our focus. God, I pray that in the quietness of this moment in our hearts right now, we would just ask you to show us the areas of our lives that do not bring you honor. That you would show us the areas of our lives where we fall short. And God, the truth is Most of us already know. We don't have to search that hard. God, I pray that we would truly repent from those things. That we leave them behind in our pursuit of following after you. 
to understand that, yes, God, you do forgive us, but your desire is for us to be obedient and to follow you, to obey. I pray, God, that we would refocus pray, God, that we would rejoice in the God that you are and the love that you have for us that defies all logic. It defies all expectation. But you love us in spite of the fact that we fail you. You love us in spite of the fact that we fail ourselves. You love us in spite of the fact that we fail everyone else. You still love May we rejoice in that fact. And may we live in that love. Thank you, Jesus.